You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for the 3rd of December, 2019. Thank you all for tuning in. It's been a long time since there's been a program. Much apologies for that and haven't much on uh, social media. I was looking up when the last program was, 3rd of October, and I couldn't believe it was that long ago. Uh, and just to explain my absence, um, initially it was a car crash. Um, not metaphorically, actually, a car crash. So that it was a that took me a couple of weeks just to sort out insurance for a car and stuff like that. So um, the program was one of the first things to go. And then... After that, I found I was kind of um, getting sick a good bit and nothing too major. I don't want to be worrying anybody in Julie, but um, I was kind of for a couple, about a month, maybe working at 60, 70% energy levels, uh, just chronic sinusitis, a lot of headaches. Um, I was able to get through my college work fine and everything else, but uh, just anything else kind of beyond that had to go, in- including this. Uh, program. If anybody is online, I haven't given anybody any due warning about this other than my lovely wife. Um, thank you so much for letting me know that it actually works. Um, apologies. I did mention something about it last week. I was, I don't want to be kind of like coming on here. It's like, oh, everything's going wrong. Um, I was kind of sick last night as well. And this morning. So I wasn't sure if this program would happen at all. And as the day went on at about Wow, four or five o'clock, I felt a lot better. Um, having spent the morning in bed, nothing to do with my sinusitis. That seems to have cleared up. Anyway, uh, if anybody wants to know any further, because I don't want to fill up the program about my uh, minor, they're fairly minor health problems, but the problem is you uh, you're pretty sapped for energy, and and as I say time and time again, my first priority is uh, training for the ministry. For those of you not aware, if you're not aware, if you've Never listened to this program before. I am training uh, to be a minister of the gospel. I am halfway through second year, nearly halfway through second year. And um, especially during term time, that is my main responsibility. Now, my plan is for the next few weeks is put out one show a week. Uh, What will be going out between now and the beginning of March is going to be pretty minimal. Um, and it's going to be things that ties into research I'm doing in college. I plan on doing and releasing material in regards to NT Wright, because that will fit in with my research project. And I'll also be doing little bits of critiques here and there. Um, things I haven't, things I'm yeah, but de- dealing with dealing with for years. So they won't be kind of going too much outside of my comfort zone. And I won't be able to, do a lot of fresh groundwork on any new topics like I would have done years ago, but um, possibly in the summer that might change. But uh, there's there's a lot of things going on there as well. So ask for your prayers. Um, if you're interested, there's still there's still material going up on sermon audio. There's a you get a radio sermon audio page on which various sermons, not all of them, but a lot of them are posted up there, and um, so you can go on there if you're so interested in that. And hopefully that'll be a blessing to your soul. Trying to think if there's anything else. Um, the, the reason I bring up that whole thing about sicknesses and all that, 
people donate to the program and, and have been donating for a long time. It's not huge amounts, but at the same time, uh, a lot of programs like this, they come, they go, um, they don't last very long. And I don't, I didn't want to just disappear off the planet without explaining my absence. I know most, I know everybody completely understands and things like that, but there are some people who have here and there, um, contributed especially to the website costs and all that kind of thing and it's really really appreciated especially your prayers okay we don't have a lot of time tonight and I'm definitely going to try and keep it to an hour tonight um if you are um hopefully everything's okay with the video it's telling me the video is not um that the health of the video is not great don't know why that is um so, yeah, if, if there's any problem, uh, it's telling me here YouTube is not receiving enough video to maintain smooth streaming for such viewers with extreme buffering. If you're, if you're, mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so hope, hopefully there won't be too many technical difficulties. If there are any technical difficulties, uh, maybe I'll re-upload this video later on. Or you can also listen to it on MiggityRadio.com. Without further ado, uh, tonight's program is going to be dealing with N.T. Wright and his views on women in ministry. This, is a, this has been a huge issue for decades now. And it's not the issue of women pastors or preachers isn't new. And it really isn't about that per se. It's about the authority of God's word. And we have to get that in our in our minds before we get into this um, critique of there was a video put out on the 25th of September by maybe this was pre-recorded from a long, long time before that. But it predates to anyway, it's N.T. Wright. He's on pre, uh, Premier on Demand quite regularly. Uh, with Justin Brierley, I think he, he hosts this, and it's called Ask N.T. Write Anything. So he does this regular thing on Premier Christian Radio where he answers questions from people, and uh, this question was on why women should be um, church leaders and preachers, according to N.T. Wright. Now, I'm not going to get into N.T. Wright's other problems. He does have other problems with regards to ju justification by faith alone. He he's... His views on the new perspective on Paul, uh, he, he's a dangerous guy. He should not be shared. He may get things right on the resurrection a few times, but he is, so, the guy is, in where it matters, he's a rank heretic. But we're going to deal with this. We're just going to deal with this on its own, on its own merits. Just want to point that out because he is used by a lot of people, shared by a lot of people on regards to the resurrection. But he's not, he's, he's sound in very few things. And he's certainly not orthodox. Anyway, let's start playing it and uh, we'll go through it. As with many other things, I want to go to the resurrection. I want to go to the resurrection stories of Jesus in the, in the first light of Easter day. Uh, actually, you know, without the resurrection of Jesus, everything falls apart anyway. There is no Christianity. And within that culture, <clears throat> the idea that the prime witnesses to the most important event in the whole story 
would-be women in tears is so counterintuitive that as a historian, I have to say, nobody would ever make up that story. Interestingly, in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul quotes what is now the shaped up and polished tradition, the women have disappeared already by the early 50s. Mm. Here's our tradition, and we know that people aren't going to believe us if we say he appeared first to these women. Mm -hmm. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's all very clear the first mm. person to see the risen Jesus were the women. And particularly, the first people to be told to tell other people that Jesus is alive again, mm. Mary Magdalene and the others. Now, all Christian ministry flows from the announcement that the crucified Jesus has been raised from the dead and is now the Lord of the world. And this is just a cultural revolution that Jesus had up till then chosen 12 men um, who all let him down in various ways. He now transforms that, and this is part of the newness of new creation, it seems to me, by saying, now, actually, this extraordinary explosive message is so subversive that the best people to take it are strange women who no one's going to believe. Okay, um, let's stop it there. There's a lot going on there. He talks about the Council of the Resurrection. Um, yes, women were the first people to uh, view the resurrected Christ. We'll just go to one of these accounts. We'll go to Matthew 28. Um, you could also go to Mark 16 and John 20, but we'll just go to Matthew 28. And I see here, it says in Matthew 28, verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards took, shook for fear of him because, uh, and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Anyway, so the long and the short of it is, the, the, his argument is, well, the women saw him first. And it seems to be like he's saying that the newness of new creation, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation, all things passed away, all things become new. I presume he's referring to 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 5, verse 17, that, that they're what, casting off everything that was done before. Now, the question is, it, the question is not, do women take the gospel message with them? That's not the issue. All Christians are called to share the gospel, to share the message of the resurrected Christ and take it to the ends of the earth. It is not just something for ordained ministers or ruling elders or deacons or whatever else. It is not just some elite class, every single person. The, the housebound woman who gets visited by her nurse, if she so can get the words out, share the gospel. Every single member of the body of Christ, man, woman, child even, is to share the gospel. So that's not really under question. And I'm not aware of it ever being an issue, at least in the New Testament church. Perhaps it was at some points in history. 
the one thing the Christian religion did, it elevated women. And perhaps a lot of times they were seen as second-class citizens and all this, but they weren't in Christianity. Now, the issue of leadership in the church and teaching in the church, which kind of, they're strictly linked because a preacher is to teach with authority from Almighty God so that when you're receiving the word, you're not receiving it as the word of men, but as the word of God. So it comes with authority. So the question is not, should women share the gospel? This has been, um, I've seen this in, in certain arguments, like almost as if you're arguing for a complementarian view that men and women are different, they have different roles, they are equal, but that does not mean that they all have the same role within the body of Christ. It's going to look different. And the question is, are women permitted to serve in leadership and to teach the congregation? In some ways, those are two separate questions. In some ways, they're one question because preaching is so misunderstood today, it's almost watered down to being no different to a talk. And so then you can kind of legitimize those. So, well, just, they're just giving a talk. They're not really preaching. And women kind of creep in there, and um, before you know it, people get so used to it that, now, is it wrong for a woman to give a talk? No. But is it wrong for a woman to preach? Yes. And that could be wrong for a woman to preach, public, on the street, or whatever else it is. Now, he talks about the 12 apostles and they let them down. It almost sounds like he's saying, he's not very clear. And this is the problem with N.T. Wright. He kind of, and a lot of N.T. Wright stuff, especially in his videos, he waffles around, he kind of shifts around in places and he's not, he never really sticks on the same point. He's kind of um, a bit of a moving target at times. But it almost sounds like he's saying, well, well, now they're just getting rid of all that part. I mean, you know, the Old Testament, and you see, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, elders were always men. Eldership goes right back to Exodus, as elders recorded in the book of Exodus. Elders is not a new office in the New Testament church. Deacons were introduced in the book of Acts, but the 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 office of excuse me of eldership is not introduced. It's always been there. It's not just some hey, here's some new brand new thing, and then what? We can ignore everything that went before it. Almost sounds like some kind of a hyper dispensationalist kind of view. Um, it's not very really clear at all. Um, Adam and Eve were created equal, but they had different roles. Eve was to submit to Adam even prior to the to the fall of man, and then that is the pattern all the way throughout human history. Leadership is to be men. People might bring up Deborah in the Old Testament. I'm kind of surprised you didn't bring up Deborah. Israel was apostate at the time. Lack of male leadership, and at the same time, she was a judge. Not exactly the same thing as leadership in the church. Um, I'm sure in rebuke of the lack of male leadership, 
there's only one recorded instance of it, and Israel's not in a good place when Deborah is raised up by God. We've no authority. We have, this is all about authority. This is all about authority. Now, he's saying, well, okay, well, because of this, because of getting back to the point about the resurrection accounts, uh, resurrection accounts in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20, women are the first people to see it. Then they're the least likely people to have ever been picked because, wow, you know, who's going to make this up and, and all this kind of stuff? Um, that they're the ones to take it forward. Well, there's an element of truth in that, but this says nothing about leadership in the church. Nothing. If it says anything about the role of women within the church, is that there's a value placed upon women and their testimony. And that's all. And indeed the disciples themselves don't, but they were telling the truth. Mm. And it seems to me we need to inhabit that story and that way of looking at that story and say, so was this just a flash in the pan? Mm -hmm. And was this just, well, Jesus, you know, had a special thing about his mother or Mary Magdalene or whatever, but after that it all went. And the answer is absolutely not. Read Romans 16. Now, of course, most people studying Romans... Um... Having listened to this a few times, he seems to be saying, well, well, he had a special relationship with a few women. Um, and are we saying now, the straw, men's, the straw men, and there's a lot of them, aren't very clear, but does, this, does, does it transfer if we place a high view upon women, which we should, we should place a high view upon anybody in the, in the church, the highest view upon Christ himself. But does that mean we place them in leadership? No. If we, if we want to value women, we should want them to fulfill the role that God wants them to, to follow. There's this undue pressure, I think, now in the church for women to be kind of leaders, but kind of not, because the Bible says not to in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, but we're going to make sure they lead in every other single way in the church life. Um, and I'm not saying that they can't necessarily, but I think there's a pressure kind of put on women, and, and they feel like they have to do it, or else... <sighs> Look, let's just get this out of our heads. Yes, we should value them. Yes, we should not uh, devalue them or anything else like that. But they ought to submit to God. And, and let's just put it like this. Are our ideas of what is best for women or best for anybody, are they better than God's? So let's put it like this. God's ways are best. Very simply, God's ways are best for men and for women. And you see it borne out. And it's not that every woman necessarily will get married. Some women are not, are called as English, and some men, but it's a minority. But there are some men who are quite content to be single and serve the Lord in various different ways. But the vast majority, when they, they do marry, when they are in these relationships, when they do bear children, all this kind of stuff, the contentment that goes with it. And while we don't do it in order to tick off the boxes, oh, I'm going to get my contentment, but God's ways are best. 
we submit to God for the sake of honoring and glorifying his name. Sorry there, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't been on the screen for a while. Um, yeah. Um, we do it to honor God, but by honoring God, there's blessings, greater blessings than the, bless, the, than the temporary fleeting treasures and, of this world. Value women, but, but by valuing women, you're not putting them in leadership. God has not called them for leadership within the church. There is a leadership that they have at home, over the family, when, when the husband's not home and things like that. There's, let's put it like this as well. Not every man is called into leadership described in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Not every man is called into that leadership. Does that mean we devalue those men who are not? No. It's just not suitable for certain people. And it doesn't mean they're not spiritual. It doesn't mean they're not godly. God is just not placed that burden on their life. There's different functions, different roles in the body of Christ. There may be some women who are amazing at speaking and everything else like that and encouraging. Praise the Lord for them. But that does not mean that we nullify 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. And the rest of the scriptures, it's not just those few verses that Paul talks about, and if you could just somehow take them out, then therefore this argument goes away. It doesn't. It simply doesn't. It's hard to get to chapter 8, <laughs> let alone 11, or let alone 16, but Romans 16 is explosive. Paul greets all these church leaders in Rome, many of whom are women who are church leaders in their own right, one of whom is an apostle, he says so, junior, and there's been a, a huge attempt to try to make out this as junior a man, but the scholarship is quite clear. This is a female name, and she... No, the, the scholarship is not clear, and from the scholarship, it seems far more likely that it was... Well, anyway, there's a split opinion on it, whatever the case. Um, he's referring to, he's kind of hopping around a little bit, um, so that can be a bit confusing for some people. Go with Matt, Romans chapter 16, and you probably think, well, what can exactly be proved from Romans chapter, six, Romans chapter 16? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Um, there are some things, obviously, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof. There are certain things about it. There are a mixture of names in Romans chapter 16. There's some of a different backgrounds, some of Jewish backgrounds, some of um, Gentile background, and they're all mixed in to this Roman church, and they're dealing with this, um, you could say, mixture of cultures or whatever else there is, and there's a value placed upon them, and so on and so forth. Now, Romans chapter 16, verse 7, talks about the this Junias, Romans chapter 16, verse 7, uh, Greece, Andronicus, and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Now, it seems like Junias is a woman's name, or Junia, Junias, or whatever. Um, I'm trying to remember what was the majority opinion. We'll just kind of go that it's a woman, okay? We'll, we'll just, for the sake of arguments, say that it's a woman, definitely a woman. 
but there is split opinion. Um, there's nothing said about Junior. I'm just going to go with the NKJV when it says here, Junior. There's nothing said about either of these people, Andronicus or Junior, or that they're apostles. It simply says this, who are of note or of reputation or kind of an idea of nobility, uh, who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. If you look at various other translations of this verse, which I seem to have misplaced, um, it's all about high respect. These two people, whoever they were, male or female, whatever the case may be, they were highly respected among the apostles. That's all the verse says. You got to be very careful. There's a, there's a bit of a, a lesson in this. You got to be very careful when people are just hopping through verses and, oh, yes. And don't just take it at face value. It doesn't mean that they're being deceptive. Sometimes you only have a, a certain amount of time and this is all that's allotted to you. But check out the verses for yourself. Ask yourself, is what he's saying consistent? Because he's going through a lot of material. This is only two and a half minutes into the video. And none of what he says, very little of what he says checks out an apostle. For Paul, that means somebody who has seen the risen Jesus and is thereby commissioned to be an authorized representative. Mm -hmm. And here's the crunch. The first woman mentioned in Romans 16 is the bearer of the letter to Rome. Now, if you're Paul and you know in your bones you have just written a letter which is the most explosive piece of theological writing you can imagine, who are you going to give it to to take it to be read under Caesar's nose in Rome? Well, presumably some strong man. No, a deacon woman from the church in Kenkreai. We assume she's an independent businesswoman, Phoebe, and she's on the way to Rome. And what? So uh, the argument is this. Well, Phoebe, it's not very clear. It's possible. Let me just explain, because this might confuse some people. Phoebe is mentioned at the start of Romans chapter 16, and it's, Paul writes this in the inspiration of the Spirit of God. I commend you to Phoebe. No, I commend to you, Phoebe, sorry, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Cancrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her, whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Now, people have kind of theorized and come to the conclusion that therefore she is the one who's delivered the message because, you know, he's commending to them, this woman, and obviously she's there with them. It's quite possible she delivered the message. And I'm going to argue based on the premise that she is. I'm going to, you know, whenever I'm critiquing somebody, I try to go, okay, let's, for the sake of argument, say that she did. However, not necessarily. She may well have, and it makes complete sense that she would, but it's it's a theory, and it's also possible that she didn't 
deliver the message herself. It doesn't make a huge difference, I think, Lord willing, we'll see in a second. Um, how do we know that she maybe wrote it? It might be early church tradition. There might be certain early church fathers who might have said it. Uh, in certain commentaries, it's in there. You can't always go with that because there's some early church father writings. A few one of them have been just well, plain wrong. Um, I think, is it Papias in the second century said that Matthew was, was it Aramaic? And it's clearly not the, not the case. Just because it's of early source doesn't mean it's necessarily right. But let's argue for this. For the sake of argument, we'll say, okay, this woman, Phoebe, written about it in Romans chapter 16, did deliver the letter. I would say, so what? Wow, so countercultural. She delivered a message. Um, yeah, we're reading way too much into this. And this is what N.T. Wright does so many times. He just kind of imagines, and he'll even say, here and can't prove it, don't know. He he says that stuff. He says it all the way through at this video. But then theorizes and fills it in with all sorts of stuff around the text, not found in the text. He's not exegeting. He's taking speculations about the history of the time and importing it into the text and he does it constantly um the guy is not an exegete at all so it's not clear from the text but what difference does a sender make and you have to read it into the text it's not clear at all it's a, it's a possibility but you can't come to that conclusion from the text alone you can't not possible. And even if you could determine that she did send it, what, what, what difference did it make? Oh, it's so... Well, why would he send it with that person? You've no textual... You've no scriptural basis to support your claim that sending it with a woman would mean, therefore, we should put them into leadership. If it says anything, it would say, well, women are valued. And so they should be, and they're part of the body of Christ. And they, women, men, labored together for the glory of the kingdom of God, you know, to exalt Christ. Yes, but that does not mean that they both function in the same roles. Let's continue. Know about um, the way letters worked in the ancient world was if you sent a letter via a friend or somebody, the chances are, you can't prove this, mm. the chances are they will be the one to... Do you get that? You can't prove this. The chances are. you can Be very careful with N.T. Wright. I tell you. Do you know what, right? You see, maybe in his mind, he's like, I'm not being... Mm. I, th I think that's why people like him. He's not. This is modern scholarship. We're not, we're not dogmatic about anything. So... Well, you know, you can have all these views, and we're all Christians. We're all Christians. So don't get dogmatic. Don't get don't don't get too don't get too um. You know, they'll throw in the the fundamentalist term or something like that. Speak with conviction. I'm not saying speak unlovingly. You can speak with conviction. You believe. But anyway, and he writes constantly, always saying things like this. 
well, you can't prove it. It's possible. You see, he just get because he's no evidence for this. He is going, he is really, for his opinion of scripture, he's going with speculation and conjecture rather than plain, clear texts, such as, for example, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, and also 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. That would be just too easy. Doubt they might well be the one to explain it to people who, I mean, faced with Romans, we'd have a thousand, I'd have a thousand questions. <laughs> so, so Phoebe, tell us what, so the probability is that the first person to expound Paul's letter to the Romans was a woman, a deacon from the church in Kenkrei. A probability you can prove, and it's probable, it's possible, and as you go along, the probability increases. It's probable, yeah, but it's probable that none of this happened. Also, so, mere conjecture. Not from the scriptures. Get used to it, guys. You know, th th this is explosive, but it's the sort of thing that happens mm -hmm. when new creation is going forwards. And to row back from there and to say, well, you know, Paul didn't really mean that. And so now we've. So I, I then want. Mean what? What is he saying? You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, he didn't mean. Mean, mean what? Mean what exactly? What did Paul mean by sending it with Phoebe? Okay, let's give it to you. Phoebe has sent the letter. Ooh, what does it say? He values women. Okay, if you want to read that into it, that's probably all you can read into it. Um, and also, more of the other things. Junius. She was, and this is what the text said, respected, well-respected, well-thought-of among the apostles. Yeah, Paul meant exactly what he said. In the same way, Paul meant exactly what he wrote to Timothy and what he wrote to the Corinthians. It's, a, it's a kind of like a sleight of hand that goes on with N.T. Wright. Do not share this man's material. Do not. He may be very good on the resurrection. He may be very good on... I struggle to find things he's actually good on. I'm not trying to be whatever, but I have friends of mine who sometimes, uh, I remember I had a conversation with a friend of mine, godly man, and loves the Lord. Um, you know, we had a book on the resurrection and asked me about it and I was like, mm, don't. he might be good in the resurrection, but in everything else, uh, not so much. Now, I'm not saying to get obsessed with trying to expose anti right. Anti right's more of a symptom. And why people like anti right are so popular. And um, it, it sounds like a kind of a intellectual respectability and a kind of um, we want to be seen as geeky and nerdy and look at all the little things we know about the world and look at how we can massage the scriptures. Hey, we're not against women. We're pro-women. And it could sound great. But you're going against the word of God. And why this is so important is it's not that we're just saying, hey, let's fixate on this one issue. 
the reason why this is so important is not necessarily the issue itself. It's about the authority of scripture because these verses are crystal, crystal clear. And when you reject them, you're rejecting the authority of God. We can have our different views on eschatology at times. And, you know, there are people who are dispensationalists at times. I have great respect for, great respect for some like John MacArthur. Um, there's a lot of people with different views, even somewhat revivalist leaning like Leonard Ravenhill. I wouldn't listen to him as much anymore, but I'd have a lot of respect for him. And, you know, sincere man who loved the Lord and probably not very precise theologically, but I have a lot of respect for him. And, but when you come to verses that are just so clear, in the last 50 years, the apostasy of the church has been, def I wouldn't say defined, but the fruit has been evidenced. It's been two issues, female elders and the LGBT, homosexuality, acceptance, and all this kind of stuff. And um, they are signs that your church, if, if you're in a church that has accepted female eldership, you're in a church that has rejected the authority of Scripture, and that's where the importance is. Not about, oh, we're going to fix it, about the role of women and all this kind of stuff. We shouldn't fix it on any issue. But this one is so crystal clear. That it is rejection of the authority of the Bible. That's why it's such a, an important issue. What are the forces in our culture today, particularly I have to say in America, mm. which are forcing some churches and some people to fasten on one or two verses from elsewhere to say, oh, no, no, we can't have women doing this and that and the other? Because. Now, I don't, not for fear of repeating myself, okay, let's think of a few verses. Some verses, some, really? Um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about headship, um, women submitting to men, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, again, not so much dealing with the ministry, but women submitting to men, not all women, by the way, submitting to men, but husbands, or wives submitting to husbands, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35, and these are crystal clear that women are to be in silence in a what a church setting. Um, it says in First Timothy chapter two, verse twelve, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. or even another rendering of the exactly the same verse, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. It's the same thing. Any, any conservative translation says the same thing. They are to submit. It, look, if you say by submitting that you're putting a, a lower value on the person who's submitting, to the person who is being submitted to, then you're saying that, well, you've destroyed the Trinity right there. And I'm talking about the economic Trinity here, not the, the ontological Trinity. But 
God the Father sent God the Son. And we know from the prayer in John 17, he was sent by him and he submitted to him and obeyed the law of God. Does that mean Jesus is less than the Father? No. So we can't extrapolate from one submits to the other, therefore they're worth less and not valued as much. Women are, should be. I'm not saying they always are. But they should be valued just as much as men. But it does not mean, actually, to be honest, if you do value women, you won't put them into leadership. And the ones that end up in leadership are apostates. They're not interested in what the scriptures say. And neither are you. If you... If you're in a church that has female elders, get out as quickly as possible. The, the scriptures are not the authority there. So the elders have become their own God. They're thinking their own, they're, they have their own ideas. They're not submitting to scripture. There are times when people sincerely disagree and all this kind of stuff. Not one of these cases. That's a highly, highly selective reading of Scripture. And as with all other theological answers, the best place to start is with the resurrection of Jesus and then everything that flows out from there. So in summary, in a sense, to, to Abby's question here, is it biblical for a woman to preach, uh, to lead a con? Before we get into the question, he talks about beginning at the resurrection. Why not begin at creation? And even if you do begin at the resurrection, which... You should really begin to create, I mean, what would you do with the Sabbath law? What would you do with marriage? Right? <laughs> Let's think about marriage. I mean, if you started from the resurrection and marriage, what, what would end up happening to that? I, that just thinks, pops into my head. What would happen to a number of doctrines? No, we start from creation. Creation, it's very clear that Eve was to submit to Adam. Of men and women, you would say, on balance, yes. I, I would miss out on balance. I would just say, say yes, yes, it is, it yes. is biblical. Yes. yes. Th there are particulars. I mean, do you want me to get to well, first let's, Timothy 2? Let's yeah. talk about that because that comes up in the next yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. Lisa in California, interestingly, yeah. two, two women asking these questions. Um, first Timothy 2, 13 to 15, though you could expand beyond that. Uh, can you explain what these verses have to do or to say specifically about women teaching if they do at all? And specifically what your thoughts are on verse 15 in particular. Would you like to read that from, yeah, from your yeah, Bible? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, I think that there's, there's a few things to say. And, and let me say I've written a piece on this which is printed in my book, Surprised by Scripture. Mm. And uh, so all I can do here is summarize some of the arguments. I've set it out more fully. And indeed in Paul for Everyone, the pastoral epistles, there's, there's a chunk on it there. And that those overlap inevitably. Uh, the first thing to say is that in verses 8 and 9, and 10, Paul is saying men and women don't go with the stereotypes. The men must lift up holy hands without getting angry and having arguments. In other words, men, we all know about testosterone. Um, there's a kind of a problem with, he's got a Greek New Testament, by the way, and they're going to make He's kind of translating on the fly and not really well. Um, he, um, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So this is all to do with our approach to God, right? 
in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with proprietary and moderation, not with clothing, but which is proper for the women professing godliness and good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. The whole context is in, the only context that makes sense really is in worship, in, ch in church, in congregational and corporate worship, okay? So, he's going to start talking about stereotypes and all this kind of stuff and not to do this, not that, that. It's all to do with worship and how we approach worship. Just now you're Christians, learn to deal with that and don't be all sort of okay. uh, power brokers and so on. Women, don't think that your life is defined by having an elaborate hairdo or by having jewellery. That just plays in... Uh, no, it's with regards specifically, you know, there's an element of truth that, but that's not from the text. The the It's in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair in the church. No, it's not a good thing to do anywhere, but in the specific context, it's speaking in the church. That you're not all showy. Um, yeah, the, there's, an, there's an element of truth in what, what um, Tom Wright is saying here. There's a tendency with men to be, you know, angry, testosterone, all this kind of stuff. And with women, perhaps to some women, it's not going to be all women, but with adorning themselves and trying to look pretty and all this kind of stuff. I think the main focus is on that they're not all focused on those things. They're, they're focused on God. And writers miss the point of the text, the central point of the text, verse 10, but that which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Don't get caught up with, you know, anger or things that are bothering you as a man. Focus on God. You know, not with doubting. Look to God. And for women, don't be thinking about your, your appearance at Look to God. But he's kind of more thinking uh, in a cultural context. The idea that women are the pretty little things, the decoration on the side, while we men are doing the fighting, as it were. So he's saying, let's get rid of the stereotypes and learn a wise way of being human, which avoids those. In other words, he, it isn't that he's cross with women for wearing jewels. It's that don't get trapped in thinking right. that that's all that it means to be a woman, to be a, a pretty bit of decoration on the side. And then he says, this is my second main point, um, a woman should learn in peace, in all submissiveness. But the idea, the word manthaneto, let... Um, not really peace, more silence, or another way, what's the other word that's possible? Silence or quietness. Not about peace, Th peace we think of, you know, not being quarrelsome or something like that. Um, this is more about quietness, silence, stillness. Um, description of one who stays at home doing his own work and does not offi officiously meddle with the affairs of others. That's given by one lexicon in Taylor's Greek lexicon, um, a suxia is the feminine expressing the general notion. Um, one quietness description of a life of one who stays at home doing his own work and does not officiously meddle with the affairs of others. Again, exactly the same thing. 
not peace. As he's saying here. Again, he's just apparently translating on the fly, but... Learn is the same root from which we get mathetes, disciple, and hesukia is what you have if you're a student, you have the leisure to study. Um, the, the word scholar actually comes from having leisure to study. And it looks to me as though this is similar to what you have in Luke chapter 10. Uh, so I think what he's saying here is this, he, oh, she now has freedom to study, which is completely unlike the rest of the world. Not what it's about at all. It's about not meddling. It's about submitting and quietness and following and learning and submission. It's not about this kind of freedom and leisure to study that they didn't have before. Um, the root of a word should never be, it might well help with the understanding of a word, but sometimes the etymology of words, you know, it's like wherever the word scholar comes from, it's fairly irrelevant. And um, that's the English word scholar. But anyway. And where Jesus is in the home of Mary and Martha, where Mary shock horror, is not in the back room where the women should be doing the cooking. Mm. She is in the front room sitting with the men disciples, which means she is in training to be herself a, a, a learner, and then it's like in, or, or somebody sitting at the feet of a rabbi is sooner or later going to be a rabbi themselves. I remember when I... So he's taken from, oh, she's learning, therefore she's going to become a rabbi. Does that mean everybody who's a disciple and who's sitting at the feet of somebody and learning from somebody, therefore they're going to become a, a, a leader or a rabbi themselves? Is, it's a bit like saying that everybody at a Bible study is learning to be a minister of the gospel. No. Context is important. Look, even in our, in our college where... The primary focus is is to be, you know, to be ministers. Some people who attend the college are not going for pastoral ministry. What I'm saying is the context is important, and, and Wright does this time and time again. He brings in whatever he wants to bring in. And often when he's bringing it in, he'll say, well, he can't prove it, and this is possible, and he... His authority, at best, and it's not even really authority, his authority is outside sources, outside of the scripture. At, at best, a fallible barometer of what scripture says. I had Paula Gooder on my hmm. Unbelievable podcast discussing this with uh, Francesca Stavrakopoulou, who takes the yes. view that it's all inherently sexist and patriarchal. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and Paula was keen to say, of course, it came out of a very patriarchal culture, so we're bound to see yeah, certain yeah, aspects yeah. of that. But pointed out that the, in this specific instance, simply saying women should learn exactly. was exactly. Ex quite quite radical it, it in is. its day it and is. age. It is. And, and, and women would regularly, ever since Aristotle, who saw women as a deficient form of men, um, that actually women were regarded as, as not that sort of thing. You might say there's a certain level of truth to that, that yes, the Bible does want women, disciples, to learn of God. All people, children, everybody, to learn of God. And you could say there's an element of truth in there, but the whole point of this verse is not about, oh, look how radical it is for them to learn. It's all about the roles of men and of women in the church.
and what they're to do in a in corporate worship as they worship together. The women are to learn in, in silence with all submission. Um, it's all about not, even the, the Greek term is about not meddling with um, other offices and things like that. And, and verse 12 makes it extra, extra clear. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over men. There's a sense in which that's two things and there's a sense in which that's one thing. Because I say, if you are, if you are preaching, the whole definition of preaching is you're declaring, you're heralding with the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's not just speaking. So any form of preaching, it is wrong for a woman to engage in. Because even on the streets or whatever else, if it's preaching, you're going with the authority of Almighty God. There's a difference between preaching and a talk. A woman might give a talk on a, on a topic. It might even be related to the Bible or whatever else. Okay? You see somebody, maybe Rosania, Rosaria Butterfield, maybe she does a talk on homosexuality or something like that. You know, academic kind of level. But that's not preaching. We're talking about preaching with the authority of Almighty God, people set apart, sent by the church. But concepts like that have been kind of lost over the last couple of decades, and we've become very, very maverick, very, very independent. We've kind of gone off our own steam, our own back. Very simply, I would just put it like this. The, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28 is for the whole church to engage in together as a body. If you're not in a church, you can't fulfill the Great Commission by yourself. You need to be a member of a church. And I pray that everybody listening to this program is a member of a church, a biblical church, preaches the gospel, ministers the sacraments, and has some level, however imperfect, of church discipline. This, of course, has gone on in the Western world and still in some circles does to this day. But then um, the crucial thing then, I think, is the possibility, and it is only a possibility, that this is written to the context of Ephesus. And what we know about Ephesus in the first century is that, as we know in Acts, the great temple in Ephesus is Diana or Artemis in, in Greek. And the cult of Artemis... Don't miss the fact that he says it's possible. Again, none of he says this all the way through which has this vast temple, one of the wonders of the world, is a female-only cult. Mm. And various people have argued, this isn't my idea, but I think it has some mileage, that actually what Paul is opposing here is the idea, well, of course, we in Ephesus know that religion is basically a female thing. So if there are any men there, um, then the women is going to have to take over the leadership from them and uh, because we, we want to hold our heads up like uh, the Artemis priestesses, mm. um, where, where men aren't allowed to look in. And this would then be, verse 12 would then be, uh, a rebuke to that, that women should not usurp or try to take over authority from men. Now, I want to say... If what he's saying is true, if this is all true, and this is how you need to understand this text, he is saying Scripture is not sufficient. You need stuff that is not there in the Scriptures to interpret the scriptures. Now, I'm not saying that understanding the context, the culture, um, certain things can't help you. If you take New Testament classes and they give you some background into you know who the Pharisees were, who the Sadducees were, um, a little bit of extra information, but it's really 
on top of and consistent with what's already in the scriptures anyway, but this, it helps. You read Josephus, you read some intertestamental literature, it'll help you. But scripture is sufficient. Comparing scripture with scripture. Josephus is going to be wrong on things. An early church, first century Jewish historian, for those of you not aware. Um, the scriptures are infallible. So, if what he's saying is true, and a lot of these things, and it's basically like this, it's impossible to understand this stuff for us today without that information. A lot of it extra biblical, some little bits of it are in Ephesus and things like that. But it's so speculative and there's no... When we read it, it, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 14, is there any doubt of what it's saying? No, because it's consistent all the way throughout the scriptures. But people like N.T. Wright and others are coming to that scripture and saying, it cannot be saying this. They're, they're coming with the presupposition that it could not be saying that women can't be in authority. They're coming with that understanding and then they're making the scriptures fit that. I don't know who originated this term, but it's a good one. If you torture the data, it'll confess to anything. I don't know that that's what that means, but the key Greek word in the middle, authentine, um, is a very strange word, which when you look it up in the dictionary, it's got about 12 different meanings, one of which is actually to murder. I mean, it, it covers a huge range. Right. And then the question... Okay, um, he made a big deal about this. And I'm not saying it's his main argument, but to usurp authority or authentine, the Greek, authentine, um, one of them is, by the way, to, to kill, but it's all in the context of usurping or to dominate someone. Here's the four different main meanings. One who is with his own hands kills another. One who acts on his own authority, an autocrat, an absolute master, and to govern, exercise dominion over one. It's very aggressive. It's a very aggressive term. Um, that's why it can possibly mean in some usages, one who has killed another. And to my knowledge, it's only used once in the New Testament. I don't know if it's, I haven't looked up if it's used in the, in the Greek, Greek Septuagint of the Old Testament, but I digress. It is in a very, it's, there's a sense in which this word, this Greek term is to take authority aggressively. And if women do take authority in the church, that's what they're doing. It's against scripture. It doesn't mean they're killing. It, that depends on context. But they're all consistent definitions, depending on the context. Because it is, if you go over and kill somebody, you're dominating somebody. And this is d domination in terms of authority over uh, a role that God has not given to them. God is not laid out. And by the way, you know, it says oh, women cannot be ministers of the gospel or elders. 
They cannot govern the church. Not every person, not every man of age is eligible or should be either a ruling elder or a minister of the gospel. End of story. Is everybody qualified? Should everybody? No. There needs to be the qualifications laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1 verses 5 to 9. If, for example, a man does not have his house in order and comes forward or is eligible to be, a, to be an elder, say a ruling elder in a congregation, if their children are unruly, they should not be considered. Now, this is another role. This is another issue. But it's, what I'm saying is it's not that it's all men over women. It's not just that they have to be a man. They have to be a man who's also qualified in other ways. You can be disqualified in other ways besides your gender. About the men there is, does this mean women shouldn't be usurping authority from any man or from their husbands, mm -hmm. or they shouldn't be teaching their husbands as though there's a, a husband-wife thing going on here, as though, yes, women... Is anybody in any doubt that this is talking about the church? The church. Do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. This is, again, lifting up holy hands. So, and there's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where it talks about women learning submission. Again, this is talking about in the corporate church. I mean, is it consistent with the rest of Scripture that saying that women should remain silent at all times? No, of course not. This is in context of corporate worship together as a body, as the church. is fine, but maybe not if it's the... I, so I really don't know mm. um, on that. After all, after all that, <laughs> after all that, right, the clearest verse in the entire New Testament, now there's other ones, even if you took this text out of the Bible and you just took a couple of other, you could prove from creation, you could prove it all sorts of ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, all sorts of ways of male headship. But the clearest text in the entire Bible, he comes to it and he just says this, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, what a wonderful scholar of the New Testament. The clearest, one of the clearest verses you could possibly get. I don't know. That's a lie. He does. There are times you can say this. Why does he get a pass and somebody like Joel Steen when he says, I don't know, gets a pass? Mm. Doesn't? And then the argument about Adam and Eve, um, rather like the one in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, if you read it out for us. Um, oh, oh, sorry, yes. A Adam was made first and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was. Okay, I think we'll leave it there because we're running out of time. Um, the argument is kind of a bit superfluous for what we're dealing with here. Uh, the woman was formed, uh, Adam was formed first, then Eve. I think verse 13 ties in why. Again, male headship. Um... If you have any questions, just quickly look through the comments. Again, I'm hoping to. This is the hope, and I'm not going to. I would just 
advise perhaps around Tuesday next, check out the Facebook page for Megiddo Radio or uh, the Twitter account, Paul Megiddo, M-E-G-I-D-D-O. And hopefully we'll be able to get some kind of a, a rhythm going over the Tuesdays for the next few weeks, and we'll see how we go. We'll, we'll take it week by week. I'm hoping for 8 o'clock. This is late to do the program, um, but I'm just glad I was able to get it out at all. been sitting on this video for weeks. If you have any questions, if you have things you would like me to cover, or I'm going to also do something with... Um, We've been doing it in a homiletics class in, in college, and we've been going through these four-minute speeches that we've been doing, and um, it's been a really kind of cool experience to do it. And I'd like to take some of those questions. These are frequent answer, frequently asked questions, things on what's the difference between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism. Can you date uh, your unbelieving boyfriend, girlfriend, or something like that? questions like that and, and keep them nice and short. So I might put those up on YouTube soon. I've done a number of them and there's some other questions that I've gotten um, through the class, just different questions that people put together over time. And um, I might just try and quick short videos just going through these things because people wonder about these things. Uh, and sometimes people might not want to sit through a whole hour long program. If there's something you would like me to cover, if there's some kind of thing you would like me to critique, uh, something I'd like to do over the break as well is on Genesis chapter 6. Um, on what that means, because years and years and years I've been doing study on that topic, and uh, it's a bit different to what I've been doing normally, but uh, a lot of people get cut off in kind of strange eschatological, eschatological views if uh, they go off on that. Um, it might be kind of like a slightly like a Bible study type thing. Uh, so I might be doing that next week unless something else comes up. Again, email me, megiddofilms at gmail.com. Again, any questions? No, no, no question. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree with a lot of the comments that people have been making. And... Uh, Right. So, again, probably next Tuesday. And try to keep it possibly to issues I kind of covered before. Hopefully this has been a blessing to your soul. Hopefully hopefully it's turned out okay on, on YouTube and you can let me know what was the quality like. And hopefully we can, uh, over the next couple of weeks, get back to some kind of normality. I'd ask for your prayers in terms of my health and preaching and things like that. It's been Paul Flynn. Thank you so much for tuning in, and may God bless you all. <laughs>